Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. You won't have to fight. You just have to back him down a notch. Trust me, I have been in a lot of fights, and I've seen a lot of fights. And believe me, fighting is the last thing on his mind. You just call him out, stare at him eyeball to eyeball, and watch him crumble. Yeah, like uh, two fighters, you know, they stare each other down before the bout. You got it. The name of the game is intimidation. Real men have been doing it for centuries. And believe me, it can work for guys like you, too. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and making his return for the first time this season to talk about the episode Cliff's Rocky Moment is the host of Back to the Bins and Is It Jaws, both part of the Two True Freaks Network. Please welcome back to the show Mr. Paul Spataro. What's up, Paul? Uh, not too much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Ha- open invitation, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, don't make it too open or you're not getting rid of me. <laughs> Ah, yeah, I, I, I'll regret that. So. <laughs> so, as I said, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 16, Cliff's Rocky Moment. This episode was written by David Lloyd, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date, Thursday, January 26th, 1984. Cliff's constant talking and opining on every subject annoys a customer named Victor, who tells Cliff to give his mouth a rest. Cliff tries to make peace and buy the guy a beer, but Victor wants nothing to do with Cliff. When Cliff mansplains sports betting for Diane, Victor tells him to shut up or he will make him shut up. Carla encourages Cliff to accept Victor's threat of violence on the assumption that he will back down. Of course, Victor does not back down, and Cliff, rather than fight, heads up the stairs to Melville's to sneak away. Subplot... Diane enters the bar football pool. Sam is frustrated by how she chooses the winners based on absurd factors like uniform color, state capital, dominant animal mascot, etc. His frustration turns into exasperation, though, when her ridiculous system works. Anyway, the next day, Cliff returns to chairs accompanied by a fellow postal carrier named Lewis, who just happens to be a large black man with a boxing background. When Victor comes back ready to throw hands, Cliff sicks Lewis on him. But once Victor describes how annoying Cliff is, Lewis takes his side and leaves Cliff to defend himself. With no one to protect him, Cliff says that he is a black belt in karate whose hands are deadly weapons, and he doesn't want to fight because it wouldn't be fair. This is met with laughter and disbelief, and rather than admit that he is a coward and a liar, Cliff leaves the bar. 
Ashamed, Sam kicks Victor out. A few moments later, Cliff returns with a wooden 2x4 and some bricks to demonstrate for his so-called friends that he is a martial arts master. He breaks the board with a kick and a brick with his head, drawing cheers of admiration from the crowd. Now revered as a hero, Cliff pulls Diane aside and privately admits that he has never taken a karate class and asks her to subtly take him to the hospital. All right, Paul, what did you think of this episode? You know, I have some mixed feelings on it because there are a couple of bits in it that I don't really feel like work, but there's some parts in it that I just think are terrific. First of all, I hate to I hate to uh, sit here and, and put myself in a league with Cliff, but I could relate to him in this episode to some extent, <laughs> and and maybe I need to you know to explain that a little bit. But you know, I'm. A person, and I think a lot of us as podcasters, I think we probably, a lot of us have similar personality traits, but I'm somebody who gets along with a lot of people and values that. I want to get along with people. I make an effort to get along with people, but no matter how hard you try, there's always going to be somebody who you rub the wrong way. And it's not something that I've really experienced much as an adult, but as at high school age, I remember just having people for some reason didn't like me and I could not figure out why. And I just kind of relate to Cliff in this episode because he's he's at a loss to understand why why Victor doesn't like him. You could see it early on, you know, in in the scene, you know, first he 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 hits him up with which I what I thought was a pretty cool line about uh, you know, other people have to go to bed stupid. Uh <laughs> But then afterwards, it's like, okay, you know, let me, let me try and make good. And he invites the guy over, you know, let me buy you a drink. And the guy's like, no, I just don't like you. And you could see, like, that, that totally catches him off guard. So there's a certain poignancy to that as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sad to say I can relate to it. <laughs> uh, it it's, it's, more, it's not that I have people all over the world who don't like me. I, I like to think that's not the case. Uh, but... There have been occasions where, for for whatever reason, I rub somebody the wrong way, and it confuses me because I don't understand why, because I am a person who innately tries to please others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... <sighs> Yeah, I, I kind of agreed with your first statement that there's stuff in this episode that I think is hilarious and that I really like, and then it's, there's also stuff in this episode that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. And I think it's because of my love for these characters and my love for the show, I find that whenever a character in the show is kind of put on the defensive or put in jeopardy, not through their own actions, not because of some fault in their character, but if they're being really bullied or or kind of taken down by an outside force, you know, that tends to kind of like make me upset and really kind of like feel it. And I felt like at first, you know, Cliff tried to do the right thing and he tried to make the best piece, like when buy a beer and the guy said, you know what, I just don't like you, I want nothing to do with you. And that could have been the end of it. But every interaction they have after that felt like this guy, Victor, was bullying Cliff. It mm-hmm. felt like like that guy could have taken himself out of the situation. If he didn't like it there, if he wasn't happy, he could have left any time. But he wanted Cliff to be the one to leave, and he was going to stand his ground that way. And I felt like nobody was standing up for Cliff, and that kind of – I was like, okay, like – 
like in later seasons, you know, you kind of see how uh, like Cliff becomes the butt of a lot of jokes and how annoying he can be to everybody else, like Nor- Norm and Carla and every. And he kind of wonders, like, do they kind of want Cliff to shut up sometimes? Do, does his talking annoy them sometimes? And they're kind of feeling sympathetic to this, or but like you know, at some point Sam could have said, you know, this guy he's harassing my customer. Maybe he's been served. Maybe he's had too much to drink. I'm gonna get him out of here. It just felt like there was so much bullying going on and nobody would defend Cliff. So ultimately, by the end of it, it has a nice outcome, sort of. Um, But yeah, like just all of their interactions and just like it made me tense in a way that is dramatic, but also kind of like uh, put me on, made me uncomfortable. Well, it's interesting you say, you know, nobody would stand up for him because I did have a question and I don't have the answer to this. Was Carla trying to stand up for him when she gave him the advice to stand up to the bully and he'll back down? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, you know what? My first feeling was that you're right, that it was absolutely not. But when I watched it a second time and then I, you know, like she even says, do you want me to go over and do it for you? And I'm not sure she wasn't being that she wasn't truly willing to stand up for him in that situation. Mm. I, I can't. I can't be certain about that, but uh, I, I did feel like there was a possibility that she was willing to stand up for him. You know, she specifically says, "Do you want me to do it for you?" Now that could have been to embarrass him into getting up and doing it, which is more true to her character. As that, we've seen. that is how I took it. I took it as her like shaming him into into taking action, um, pretty effectively, because Sam even gives him the out after that. He's like, "Look, I don't want. I don't want any fighting. Like, I'm going to settle this myself." And, and Cliff is like, "No, no, Sam, I've got to do this." So at that point, Cliff has been <laughs> appropriately like shamed and talked into standing up for himself. But, mm-hmm. Now, uh, just, you know, I made some notes as I'm watching it Mm because that's what I'm supposed to do, I think. Um, The cold open, Mm -hmm. I thought it had a great buildup. I'm watching it. I was totally pulled in by Coach with his his, his little maneuvers that he's putting together. Was it the Contiki Tiki? Yeah, yeah. That's the card. Somebody ordered your famous Contiki drink, and he's like, oh, I haven't made one of those in forever. So he starts putting this big tropical drink together inside of a coconut shell with umbrellas and all of these things. Yeah, he's just throwing everything in here. But, you know, like I I was totally pulled in by that, and then I was a little bit let down by the – punch part of it the payoff didn't feel like it worked when he starts you know just if anybody hasn't watched it recently uh you know he's, he's got it all ready he's putting all these things in there and it's a whole big production and then carla says oh you didn't blend it and he takes the thing and he pours it all with the little umbrella and the coconut glass into a blender and starts to do it like that just didn't feel right to me i don't know i i, I prefer that coaches you know his, his Unintelligent maneuvers feel more real. Right, right, right. Yeah, that, that just didn't feel quite right to me. I like it, but I can't disagree with you. I mean, I, I think it, it's funny in that. I mean, he puts the entire drink, like the, the coconut husk, in it all into the blender, and it starts smoking as like a visual gag. I think it's funny, but yeah, it's also one of those things where it's sort of all right. Maybe that's too far for the drink. Maybe that's play. Maybe that's too stupid for him and just not really being the sense that more of his his stupidity tends to be just kind of like like taking things too literally and everything but i think my my favorite moments in that are there's two points where he kind of like splashes gently (laughs) and it's just just the the physical mannerism and then he takes what i don't remember what it is but he takes part of it and he splashes on his face like it's aftershave (laughs) yeah yeah those, those are my two favorite moments in that particular uh, sequence. Yeah, that was good. Now, 
Victor, when he's hanging out at the bar, one of the things about this show that I love, and I'm talking about the series, not necessarily this episode, is it has a certain timeless element as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't feel like a show that's 35 years old. Um, Victor's clothes, though, do. <laughs> he, he the, the way he's dressed and everything, it just kind of looks like he's you know mid 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So to watch it now, it almost looks anachronistic to see him. Uh, I, I just kind of wish he was wearing something a little bit less, you know, a little, just a little bit more uh, casual or a little bit more, you know, that would just blend. Yeah, he's got he's got the wide collar. It definitely looks like he's like uh, like he was not like dancing or clubbing or something like the night before or something. But uh, um, he's played by an actor named Peter Yakangelo. Um, his most recent credit was in the movie Fight Club, which was 20 years ago. Um, but before that, he appeared on tons of TV shows like Hill Street Blues, Quantum Leap, Murphy Brown, Night Court. He was in Taxi. Um, and he does actually appear in the cheer spinoff, The Tortellis, although playing a different character. Yeah, he, he's got this energy uh, about him and like the like with the whole look and everything where it's just like you look at him and it's like, I, I don't know, like he, he looked like – Somebody who was just like ready to fight. He looked like <laughs> yeah. He oh he did. He played. He pulled that off well. And he actually, I thought he, his... struck, he struck me as the type of person who would be like typecast as like you know like shaking down people for the mob. Like, yeah. Yeah. That sort of like like seventies late seventies Italian like Goodfellas type of vibe. Yeah. I thought his Boston accent was a little inconsistent. Mm-hmm. At some points it felt like he hit it, and at other points it felt like he missed. Uh, but I thought his the scene where he shined a little bit in the in the uh, show was when he steps when when Lewis stood up to him. Yeah. And while he was clearly intimidated by Lewis, and and who wouldn't be the guy was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't back down. He would just he was just explaining his position. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I thought he he kind of you know but the guy just gets on my nerves you know like I thought I thought he really stood out there as 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 you know putting a, a pretty decent performance out there. Yeah, Lewis is played by Sam Scarber, uh, who actually comes back for an appearance in the third season too. Um, and he uh, appeared in action movies like Over the Top and Eraser. Also did tons of TV shows in the eighties like The A Team, Hill Street Blues, Taxi, Simon and Simon. TJ Hooker, 90s shows like Quantum Leap, ER, Family Matters, MacGyver, um, just tons of tons of stuff. Um, yeah, and again, I love the show, but one of the one of the faults of it is I I think I can count on one hand the number of black actors or actresses who have speaking dialogue in the show. Uh, yeah, the, that's true. the eleven seasons. Um, but but he does have. It's not my my home run, and I, if it is yours, please just delete this out. Uh, but I thought he had one of the best lines when he says, "How am I supposed to know Leslie Uncles?" <laughs> yes, that's perfect. That, that was one of my yeah yeah. When it's just he's sitting there with Cliff, and there's like like it goes to like Sam and Diane or something, and it cuts back, and Norm is sitting there talking. He's like, "How am I supposed to know Leslie Uncles?" <laughs> and he's like, you know, it's it's great because they're playing on the you know on the exactly exactly Norm's innate like, racism, I guess. Right, and Norm's and. and like, like he plays it, he's like nothing. He's like it's not like I think all black people know each other or something. He's like, coach, can I get another beer? It's like the awkwardness. Is- <laughs> yeah, I, I just, but uh, you know, that cracked me up when I heard that. Yeah, like, he keeps like it's obvious that you know, like Cliff brought him in there for the purpose of being his like defender and everything like that, and like they they reveal how like Cliff basically put an ad up on the post book, like looking for somebody with a fighting background or something. But he walks in, he's like, he's like, can I buy a beer? He's like, sure, Chris. He's like, it's Cliff. <laughs> and then later on, when he's like talking to talking to Victor and Cliff is trying to defend himself, he's like, shut up, Clint. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not getting into a Studebaker. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I'm not. He's like, you can't drive me home. I'm not. I want the people in my neighborhood to see me coming home in a Studebaker. But yeah, and I loved like the scene when when Victor is making this case. It's like, you know, some guys just get to you, and you see Lewis like, you know what? You're right. It's like he does the exact same thing down at the post office, and he he looks back, and you see Cliff having like this cocksure smile, like he's like, I got this taken care of, and it slowly starts to dawn on him. He's like, wait a minute. I'm not sure. Every- turning on me. Yeah, like, I'm not sure everything is going for me right now. It's like the whole way that that turns the slow dawning on him is really, really good. So, like the the second act of it, like basically once Lewis comes in, I just I really, really love that. Like his whole little performance, like really stole it. And then like once he leaves, like the, everything was like, it's like I'm a, I'm a black belt in karate. My hands are li- like deadly weapons, and just like the genuine laughter that comes out of everybody. Actually, when he like cause Sam isn't there to hear it, and he comes back, and and Diane is I don't remember when it is, but at one point Diane describes Victor as a combative mesomorph, and <laughs> and he, like Sam's like, what's going on? And like they say, you know, Cliff doesn't want to fight him because he's a black belt in karate, and the genuine slow laughter that builds in Sam coming from that when he hears that is just so good. I love it. I they they kind of did a, a real turnaround on that though like a double turnaround actually because they have him do the thing with the wood and the bricks and make you think oh wow he is he does know what he's doing and then they turn it around again <laughs> that he doesn't and i just thought that was a great twist you know it, it seemed reminiscent to me of uh the episode if you recall of the honeymooners when uh, Ralph witnesses a robbery and he's holed up in the apartment because he's afraid that they, you know, the robbers know that he witnessed it and that they're going to come and get him. And eventually, you know, they do find him. And then he, the, the bigger one of the two is sent, you know, take him in the back room and, and rough him up. And, and, you know, he does that. And you, all you do is hear like fighting in the back room. And then the door opens and the big guy is standing there and he just kind of collapses and Ralph walks out that he, you know, he beat up the guy. <laughs> and I thought that's what they were effectively doing here with Cliff, that it turned out he is a black belt. And that's, you know, that's the twist that, you know, you thought he wasn't. But what they did was they make you believe he is. And then the twist is that he really, you know, you were right originally when you thought. <laughs> right. you were so I, I thought that's great. Uh, you know, my kids did. uh some martial arts stuff when they were younger and we you know they'd have a show every year where they'd break boards and and things like that so i've seen you know i've seen it done since then and it is it is something that they do you don't see them do it so much with bricks but they do they do it but not as frequently and they generally will not have like young kids do it they have the kids break the boards mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and as they do get more advanced, they do kind of what Cliff did, and they'll have two or three different spots, and it'll be bam, 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 right. and they break them all. And that's that's part of, you know, the process that they go through. Uh, and it is impressive, yeah. I have to say. You know, and sometimes you get the guys, they'll do two boards, three boards all at once. You know, it, it gets to be a lot, and I, I don't know how, like, you know, I would break my foot or my hand. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just as likely as Cliff probably has con- has a concussion at the end of this, when, when yeah. he pulls Diane aside, and he's, I've never. And, and it's a great visual of her carrying up. Yes, yes, the last because she's like, Cliff is going to walk me to my car for my protection. He's like, anybody got a problem with that? And he's not even looking; he's like gazing off into like space. He's like, anybody got a problem with that? And they're like, no, 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 that's good, that's good. And they go outside, and then everybody's talking. Nobody notices that through the window you see the stairs. <laughs> Diane has Cliff over her shoulders, like firemen carrying him up the stairs. Now, Diane is a little out of character, or not out of character, but you could 
it, it almost plays for her genuine concern when uh, when when Cliff backs down instead of saying "poor Clifford," she says "poor Cliff," mm-hmm. which is out of character for her because she's always you know always always calls them by their full names, which almost gives a sense of that she really was feeling it. Yeah. Speaking of her getting into the subplot with the, the sports betting, it's. Oh god, I, I love the little sequence when you know Sam doesn't want her to have anything to do, and then when he's going to try and explain her to her like the the whole the the games and everything, and it's like you know like the Dolphins going up against the Bears or something like that, and he's like, we've got home court or home field advantage, and she's like, a bear, the Bears are definitely going to win. And he's like, what are you talking about? How can the Bears? Win? And she's like, well, a bear versus a dolphin, it's not even a fair fight. And, and from there, and that, just, that actually is that is my home run. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right, so, and that just goes into like her explaining like how like the, the animals and the mascots of the the teams and everything are superior, and the way she breaks down like how the the color of the team uniform or whatever like the dominance of that color has the effect. She's like red always beats blue, blue beats yellow, yellow beats mauve. <laughs> and at that point, Sam just gets off. He's like, no, no, no. He's talking about like Dallas. He's like, who hasn't won a game? Who hasn't lost a game until last week? And she's like, who beat them? He's like, Washington. Like, and what, what color? Beautiful. He's like, none of your business. That that whole subplot was kind of fun in the background, and it had you know really nothing to do. It wasn't like you had any kind of connecting thread between the A plot and the B plot. But uh, it's it's one of those things that Cheers did so well where the B-plot would be almost inconsequential to the story, but they just keep coming back to it just enough to keep you entertained. Uh, and often you'd, you'd hear lines from the B-plot out of context, mm-hmm. and, and that made it even more entertaining. Right, right, right. Yeah, because she does come back again at the end, like after they find out that, you know, everything, all of the, it was like a, a big upset day that for that Sunday, all the home, like all the, Teams expect to win loss. So Sam, you know, he's like, I only got like six out of eleven or six out of thirteen, and she she starts pointing out like all of the teams that he actually got lost. So he only got four out of out of thirteen, um, and then it turns out that she got eleven or twelve, like right and everything because she bet on based on, well, God, how does she describe it? Cities with foreign-born symphony composers, <laughs> conductors. <laughs> yeah, conductors. And he's like, no, from now on, no blonde waitresses are allowed to bet on this. Did you? I mean, this isn't related to like the show or anything. But did you ever get into like fantasy sports or th- like things like uh, that? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I do. <laughs> Currently, it's not past tense. So I am in the Two True Freaks fantasy football league still. Yeah. Uh, I I did do fantasy football for a while, a couple years, um, and I just I I found that it. I couldn't necessarily, I couldn't be a fan of particular teams anymore. It like cha- it changed the way that I rooted for teams and things like that, and it just sort of lost some of its its appeal then. And also just other sort of like scandals going on with the NFL just kind of like turned me off to it. So I just don't watch as nearly as much as I used to. Sure, um, but uh, yeah, I just found like I was I was enjoying it for a little while, and then I was just like, okay, I'm a I'm a Bears fan who hates the Packers, but. I've got to root for Aaron Rodgers because he's my quarterback and he's like like winning all the he's like my best player on my team. I was like this just this is like upsetting me in weird ways. So like this is changing my fandom and I'm not happy about this. Yeah, it it is it does take a certain ability to uh, root for the player but keep your rooting interest in your favorite team so that the two aren't conflicting with each other. Uh, 
I try never to let my financial interests in fantasy sports influence my rooting for my teams. Mm, yeah, yeah. I also think and and it's it's real easy in the true true two true freaks one because we actually don't even do that for money. It's just for fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I would do it for like when I did it. It was the, the the winning take was so minuscule. It wasn't even really like that bothered getting competitive about it. But but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know the reality of. of not even talking fantasy sports, which is what we're talking here, but what they're doing where they're picking against the spread and all of that. You know, the spreads are really designed to take advantage of people's preconceived notions of these teams. And I've found over the years that people like Diane, who actually don't know anything, are very often better <laughs> to, at picking these games than people who know what they're doing because I think sometimes the line is designed to fool the people who do know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's just it's almost a case of ignorance is bliss. Yeah. So so I, I I'm not like this plot line didn't surprise me at all. Uh, the one line in there, you know, so this is 1984 uh, when Diane is needling him a little bit about when did you last win? He comes out with 1974 so quickly. <laughs> yeah. But it, it it almost seems like his timing is a little off on that joke like he should have taken a breath before he gave the line yeah yeah it, yeah because she's yeah she's like almost like cuts him off or he interrupts her to answer she's like when was the last time? he's like 1974 but i've been close every time since then yeah which again i mean like if that was during his that would have been during his pitching career like i think yeah. like, they, they they make it too long ago for the sake of a joke when i think realistically it probably should have been like 78 79 or something but uh i'm trying to think if i had anything else um Ultimately, like with this episode, I had more sort of like big picture stuff than real like specific lines. It wasn't quite as quotable as some of the other episodes. No, it's not. There's, there's very little. But the 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 line, and you know, I've already given it up that my home run is the uh, you know a bear against a dolphin. That's not even a fair fight. I, I have used that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's that's probably the reason why it stands out to me as my home run because it's a line I have used, and and her delivery of it is is terrific. I thought I thought she was great in this episode. I'm actually trying to think now if the if the eighty. 84- Four season would have been the first season with Mike Ditka and Buddy Ryan together, because this would have been a year before the the Bears Super Bowl. It was the year before the Super Bowl? I, I think they were together for a little while. I don't think that they, they wanted in only their second year together, but I'm not sure. Uh, all right, so then for Norm's tab, uh, I gave him credit for three beers this episode, which brings him to 173 for this series. For the employee of the week, who did you have? Who was the? Uh, I'm going with Diane. Yeah, because I was totally charmed by her in this episode. I thought she was incredibly cute when she was talking to Sam, <laughs> but then incredibly supportive when she was dealing with Cliff. I just thought she came off as just the MVP of this episode. Uh, although it's a Cliff episode, and I hate to, to not give him credit for it because I thought he did a terrific job with what he had, but I thought he was given a lot of meat and he played it well. I thought she was given a much more subtle part in this episode, and I thought she just really played it incredibly well. She really did. Um, and I, I, I wanted to give it to Cliff because, you know, this is his episode and he does such a good job of, of looking confident and cowardly at the same time. He really kind of makes this one his own. But 
I, I had to kind of give it to the, what I said was the scene stealer, which was Lewis, because as <laughs> soon as they walk in together and you just see him, I just start laughing. I'm like, Cliff just brought this giant black guy in to basically be his muscle. And everything, we're just, he doesn't have that much screen time, but everything he says is just terrific. From calling Cliff the wrong name twice to the, how am I supposed to know Leslie Uggams thing to later when he's just like, yeah, he's like, hey, can I give you a ride home? He's like, no, no, no. I was like, I don't want my friend, I don't want my people in my neighborhood to see me come home in a Studebaker. That whole thing, I just like, yeah, just for, for a short amount of time, he just, he stole it. So I was just like, I want to see more with Lewis. I want him to come back. Yeah, I, I would have liked for him to have a recurring role in this show. Yeah, uh, you said he does come back once. I don't recall it off the top of my head, but I, I, I would have liked to have seen him almost have a Harry the Hat kind of presence, where you know you see him every, I don't know, maybe once every ten episodes, two or three times a season, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, all right, for our home runs for the funniest gags. Um, I had I had two down, and one of them you mentioned was the how am I supposed to know Leslie Uggams? Just the, the the anger, the outrage that he has when he says that line, and because we don't hear the setup, we don't hear Norm ask. It's just a cut back to that and everything, and I love that. And if any listener doesn't know who that is, uh, she was an African American actress who was in Roots, uh, probably most famously and most notably for the time that this came out. Um, for a more geeky reference, um, actually recently she played the character of Blind Al in the Deadpool movies. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got one more, but what was your uh, home run for the episode? My home run was a bear against the dolphin. That's not even a fair fight. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Um, the other one that I have was when they first kind of apprise Sam of like what's going on, this whole like brewing conflict, and he's like, "Cliff, I don't want any more violence in my bar than the occasional love nibble." And he kind of like says that to Diane, <laughs> and you just it cuts to Coach like kind of standing behind them. He's like, "That'll never work with this guy." Yeah, that's right. I forgot that line. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, very cool, Paul. Thank you very much for being my guest on the show again. Uh, tell our listeners where else they can find you in the podcastosphere. Well, except when I occasionally guest guest appear on other people's shows, you can find me regularly on three shows, all on the Two True Freaks Network. I'm on Back to the Bins, where we review comic books. I'm on Listen to the Prophets, where we are doing an episode-by-episode recap of Deep Space Nine. And I host Is It Yours with rotating guest co-hosts uh, reviewing movies old and new. Uh, and Ryan has appeared a couple of times and will be appearing again soon. Very, very cool. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. Please support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter, or you can leave a comment on the website post fireandwaterpodcast.com. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is now on Patreon, and special thanks to all of our patrons over there, with extra special shout-outs to Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Uh, they both sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support either the network in general or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. What's the problem? Hey, wait, I, I, I got no quarrel with you, pal. It's, it's this guy here is getting on my nerves. Oh, yeah? And what exactly is it about him that bothers you? I don't know. Uh, the fact that he comes on is uh, such an authority on everything. Hey!
It's a free country. I know. I know it's a free country. <laughs> but it bugs me. I mean, uh, he's got an opinion on every subject. He never shuts up. You know, he does the same thing down at the post office. <laughs> but nobody ever thinks about beating him up over it. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? His whole attitude rubs me the wrong way. You know, yeah. I know what you mean. What kind of guy just do it to you? <laughs> Who knows why? Well, uh, actually, sociology. Shut up, Clint. <laughs> it's Clint. Uh, would you like to go to the beer, Lewis? No. I don't think so. I think I'm going home. Uh, <clears throat> let me give you a ride. It's oh, no, 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 no. I don't want my neighbor seeing me come home in a Studebaker. <laughs>